Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Bench Units Podcast. We are here with a guest today, not James, because he's usually here. We are joined by a man whose surname I've just been told how to pronounce, and I'm terrified of butchering this. But welcome to a wheelchair basketball legend in Richard Nokia, I think. How's it going, Richard? Good, good, man. Glad to be here. Wicked. Uh, I've already said prior to hitting record on the podcast, it's really nice to meet you, uh, but I have to say it again for legal reasons, so I seem polite. Um, <laughs> obviously, James has met you already, and he just comes across as rude because he doesn't have to say it. So, Yeah, I just wanted to see how long I could go without saying anything at the start <laughs> of the podcast, but so, as per usual, not very long. That's true. Um, Richard, first things first before we get started. Um I to say that our paths have never really crossed before. I've heard a lot of things about you from a lot of different people. Um, James and Anna obviously have nothing good to say about you. Mendel was on here a few weeks ago, had nothing, nothing but bad things to say about you. Um, you probably don't remember this. My fiance has actually met you and has a story from meeting you when she was uh, greeting people at the airport when you came to EuroLeague. So, okay, yes, yes. So I grilled, I grilled her about this a little bit. Um, she, I remember her telling me at the time, but this is the up-to-date version of it. So you guys arrived to Sheffield uh, and the buses were all late. So you guys had to hang at the airport for like two hours or something crazy like that. Yes. yes. Um, so Gabby's story is Grand Canaria arrived. Everyone was kind of not jet lagged, but wary from traveling there was apparently an irate Spanish woman who was very unimpressed with the, um, with the circumstances. Um, (laughs) Understandably so. So Gabby's story goes from that point. She's like, there was actually an older guy who um, spoke most of the English for the team and he was really sympathetic and saw what a difficult time I was having. And he was really nice to me out of all of them. She said, I called back to Sheffield to see if I could do anything. And they said to buy coffees to pacify everybody or, you know, keep everybody busy. At which point Richard asked if I could buy him a beer and I said I wasn't allowed to and he stopped being so nice to me after that and just kind of <laughs> let me get on. <laughs> so, uh, does that sound right? That's enough. <laughs> so that was that story. Uh, also got rave reviews of you from a guy by the name of Diego Castellan, if you remember him. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know him, right? Yeah. Diego. Yeah. What a mess. So... Right. Diego, I have, a bit more, I have a bit more context to that story. I have found out oh. since then that before that flight, Richie nearly didn't get into the UK, and oh, one right. of the other Grand Canarian players just didn't. Yeah. Oh, he wasn't right. allowed in. Yeah, I had to do some serious sweet talking to actually get in. Um, <laughs> we first we got to the airport, um, leaving here from Grand Canaria, and they wouldn't let me get on the plane. And um, right. I asked why not, and they were like, no, well, you need a visa, and, we, and I assured them, well, look, we actually have contacted the embassy, and we've got it in writing that they said, no, it's fine, you don't, it's a short-term stay for an international tournament, we don't need a visa. So eventually, we convinced them to let me get on the plane, but obviously, Najib not, so being Arab. And right, okay, I, I hadn't even hadn't even clocked Najib had been with you guys at that point. Yeah, yeah. so I got on the plane, went over. And like trusting in management that has said, we've got emails, we've asked the embassy, they've said it's fine. Get to England and just get stopped at immigration. They're like, no, buddy, you're not going anywhere. I'm like, well, sort of, we have emails and communication between us and the the embassy saying that it's fine. And they're like, 
nah, sorry, Nick. It's this Yo, one. okay. But like, do you have any family? And I'm like, well, uh, I sort of do. I have a cousin and my wife is British. She's got a British passport. Right. They're like, okay, uh, do you have a number? Can we call her? I'm like, well, no, she's actually flying here as we speak. She's on a flight. Right. <laughs> and I mean, she's like, like, she's been really polite. Because, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a stressful situation. And I could yeah, have man. just done the whole get pissed off and start being, this is ridiculous and everything. But I'm just all, getting angry is not going to solve anything. Let me see if I can sweet talk this guy. And, and it actually worked out fine. <laughs> It's like it. really calm. It's like I perfectly understand where you're coming from. It makes sense. I'm like, listen, is there any way we could try and find a solution to this? And eventually the guy's just like, he's like, hang on, just, just wait here. Went off, came back. He's like, I'm really not supposed to do this. He's like, but you do have a British uh, wife. And, you know, so yeah, I'm I'm going to give you a permission to, to be here for the tournament. So I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And really what's just a case of not freaking out and like pointing fingers and accusing people of being like sympathetic understanding. <laughs> job is so hard, man. It's like, wow, I, I do not envy you. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, kind of worked out. It's like, I've always been good at like talking my way out of trouble. And so, yeah. Kind <laughs> of like going to be getting you a beer. Or... I'm going to say, I can't, I can't believe. I wasn't going to push it, man. I can't believe after that whole ordeal, Gabby still declined you a beer. I'll, I'll explain. Like after what I've been through, I'll explain the situation to her when, when I'm um, finished here. I'm sure she'll be understanding at that point. Um, <laughs> you'd be allowed to you'd be allowed to host your league every year for the rest of a club's existence if you greeted people off the airport. Off yeah, the, oh yeah, that'd be unbelievable. <laughs> people landing into Sheffield, just handing them a creative beer, being like, "All right, crack it, crack it open, boys." Um, so before we get into it, Richard, last thing I need to ask you just for my own curiosity, because I so rarely get to talk about this with people. You are one of the few other non-Italians in the history of the universe to have lived in Campo San Piero in Italy, the tiny ghost town slash grave town that it is. Um, hit me with your Campo San Piero thoughts really quickly. Not that there'd be a long list because there's nothing there. No, exactly. It's not really. Like it's just, you told me what you called it. You're like yeah, wearing like, Italian. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to put that out there. It's like I had a nickname for it. It's like, and I told it to everybody in the team that they got offended in the beginning and then they kind of realized I was sort of right. I used to call it not Campo San Piero, but Campo San Merda. Oh, it's yeah. just nothing yeah. there. It's like you've got yeah. one restaurant, you've got one cafeteria, you've got like <laughs> one bar you've got it's like there's nothing here man like literally on a bicycle you could i mean uh, you, you've been there i think james yeah he played there for yeah, a year right? yeah yeah i lived there man the rides on my bicycle right through the town in like 30 seconds it's, yeah it's it's crazy. nuts the, it's tiny. the what the just told me is like every story you told me about there's happened in one bar yeah <laughs> that's completely insane <laughs> the uh, the fu the funny thing is so James can back me up on this, but um, where I'm from originally, my mum and dad live like out in the middle of the countryside and it's like half an hour to anywhere. Li literally where they live is like a yard, a couple of old farmhouses and just fields from that point onwards. So I, I think I was the one foreigner that Padover have ever had who I like arrived in Campo San Piero and I was like, yo, this place is awesome. I felt like I was in New York or something because there was an actual street with shops on it and they were like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Like, why, why do you think this place is good? Um, but yeah, I was really lucky. There's a cafe down at the end of the, of like you say, the one street in the entire town, and the family who ran that thing just kind of adopted me for the year, and that was all I really needed. But other than that, there was nothing to do. Yeah. I I only found out at the end of um, 
at the end of my stay there, there was actually a second supermarket. And I was like, yo, this is a game changer. Can't believe I didn't know this. It's like, yeah, wow, there's some variety. There's two supermarkets. Yeah, I know. It was honest to God, man. But yeah, I think um, anyone who's lived there and come out the other side of it is kind of appreciative to live anywhere else. It, it, it was it was it was nice it was a, a, a nice change of pace it was you know, quiet life a very yeah. small town so obviously you get to know most of the people who live in the town which was yeah. also kind of nice i mean there was a little wine bar also just close to the tergola the little pizzeria yeah 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 i lived right behind the tergola yeah I, i've actually heard that the, the guys used to stay there yeah um, so yeah right about there there was a little wine bar and we got to know the that's yeah. fun it was like a family-owned thing and, and we got to know the son and we'd go over there and we'd just like have wine and he'd give us just appetizers all the time the most yeah was it like fresh seafood appetizers and we'd be there for like four hours and then um go up to him and was like all right so what do we owe you and he just hasn't been keeping track of anything he's like five years <laughs> We've had like 57 wines worth of seafood and he's charging us five euros. He's like, yeah, man, I don't do this for the money. I do this for the passion. I just love having people around and laughing. Fair and enough. so obviously that became like a very popular place for us. So I'm gonna say, <laughs> I, I, I wonder how much money you actually swindled him out of <laughs> by the time you'd been yeah. there a few times. Yeah, yeah and I look a couple of times. He's like five years. I'm like, listen, buddy, just take 10 because you're probably going to need it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey. You're not making money. You're I, not winning. Yeah, you're like, I want to keep coming here and spending yes. five euros. So the interest <laughs> of that, I'm going to spend 10 every two times. Yeah. I come here. Like, it's like how that's this thing that just would never happen in the uk at least like i don't know about many other places but like there's been times here in spain that i've gone to like a cafe and we've got like this sandwich we've got this thing we've got two coffees and say like i remember once specifically i looked at the bill and i was like hey this is missing and the guy was like don't be bothered doing it again don't worry about yeah. it like just like just just drugged his way out of four euros because I was like, hey, you didn't charge us for this. And he was like, I don't really want to reprint this. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Yeah. See you later. So I was like, yeah. this is unbelievable. Perfect. I like wanted to go back and like pay them for it the next time just to say thanks. Yeah. But of course, no, I, I think, I'm a loser. I think, <laughs> okay. I think it is like a, a European or like maybe a tiny local European community thing because that was an, another tiny detail of being in Campo San Vera that I remember is I always used to go to pay the bill with the correct number of like euros and cents. And when people saw you counting cents out, they'd look at you like you're a lunatic. And it would it would be like, hey, this is 15 euros, 85. And they're like, well, as far as we're concerned, that's 15 euros. I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, you, you don't understand. That's nearly a 16th euro on top of that. They're like, no, don't worry about it, man. It's fine. They're <laughs> like, what are you giving me that for? You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we could go on about village life all day, but we won't do because James has actually prepared us a rundown of stuff to talk about. So we should probably honor that to some extent. Yeah. yeah. So in the interest know. of that, um, I was trying to think of where would be a good sensible place to start. And I figured the beginning. So how did you get into wheelchair basketball, Richie, for the for the the masses of people that apparently listen to this? It's more than six, less than 100. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's interesting. Actually, my parents sent me to boarding school because, believe it or not, I was a bit of a problem child. Um, <laughs> I had, so my parents just one day had enough of my nonsense sorry <laughs> uh, for lack of a more expressive word 
Um, yeah, enough of my nonsense. And they're like, well, listen, they, they did threaten me a couple of times and say, look, if you don't stop your nonsense, we're sending you off to boarding school. And then one day, lo and behold, they actually followed through on the threat and sent me off to boarding school. The boarding school actually happened to be uh, wheelchair friendly. It was actually built to, you know, for people in wheelchairs that so had ramps and stuff and didn't have stairs everywhere. And uh, they happened to have a wheelchair basketball team. And I used to play with like some of my friends. I was telling James earlier, we used to real fun playing able body basketball. <laughs> and um, uh, one day, the, the coach of the wheelchair basketball team came out to me and she's like, Hey, would you like to try a wheelchair basketball? And I was like, Why on earth would I want to do that? I don't need a wheelchair. And she's like, Well, give it a crack. You might actually like it. I was like, Why would I sit in a wheelchair? She's like, Come on down, have a try. Maybe you like it. And yeah, it went down, did that, and I was like, oh, this is really, really fun. I was like, this is like, this is really fun. I was like, yeah, hey, can, can I come back tomorrow? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was kind of stuck. Just, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah kind of. Kind, kind of, of stuck. When was that? How old were you then? I was 12 years old. This was in 1992. I was actually 11. I turned 12 that year. Oof. So that's yeah. before either of us were born. <laughs> Just to... That's how long I've been playing this game, man. Yo. Yeah. Long, long, time. long, long. It's been good to you, man. It's been good to me. And it's been a very interesting journey. It's like one of the things for me that's fascinating about wheelchair basketball is actually seeing the evolution of it. And it changes in so many ways. Like, I mean, when I started playing, we didn't have anti-tips. We didn't even have straps. Yeah. But we didn't play with straps. We didn't play with anti-tips, which was... Um, didn't do the game much justice because when you play without straps and all the wheelchairs are exactly the same, you got to you got to understand that one pointers were not sitting in an optimal setup, which meant yeah. every time you hit a one pointer from the front, he'd like face plant on the floor, face on the floor, ass in the air, and their pants always used to come down. I never understood it. So you'd have like the butt up in the air. Of hanging out the back and everybody's <laughs> rushing over to try and cover up and like get back in your chair what are you doing and it's like it's like help me help me it's a one point he's got absolutely no control yeah and everybody's just like trying to look away like oh what are we doing here anybody watching us must think we're like really a sorry bunch of people <laughs> so your first coach was just like hey we're currently playing to five points here richie <laughs> we might even get up to double figures <laughs> interestingly enough actually the first group of guys i started playing with um were really, really talented. Um, the, the one guy, uh, his name was Yaki Boto, South African guy. This guy was just, he was, he was tough, man. He, he had uh, his left leg, if I remember correctly, was off at the hip. And his right leg, and he was born like this, it wasn't amputated. And his right leg was like off through the knee. He actually used to, he didn't move around in a wheelchair, he moved around on a skateboard. Uh, I've he seen actually, that before. Yeah, he lived. He lived in a town thirty kilometers from my hometown, and he used to go on his skateboard, come over to my town, and come visit. Oh my! Yeah, <laughs> kilometers. Oh, on his that, hands were something out of like a horror movie. Just like being so <laughs> strong and big and callous, it was scary. And him in a wheelchair was a machine. So he was like huge and ripped from just pushing yeah, the top of the wheelchair uh, on the skateboard all the time. So there was him. There was a guy. Simon Fuert was his name. And um, he he actually, when he was born, his parents, or the doctor actually, he he wasn't, he didn't come out right. He was upside down and the doctor pulled him out by his legs and actually dislocated both his hips. Yo. Which they didn't realize at the time. And then he realized later and then his 
the, his hips were kind of set in that form and they actually had to operate when he was 12, 11 or 12. They operated on one hip and they said they'll do the other one later. So once they operated on the hip, they put him into a body cast, like up to under his arms. And um, he, his dad made like a plank with little plaster wheels on and he used to push himself around with this. When they pulled him out of that, that cast, the cast, he looked like Hercules. He was massive. <laughs> it was like, it was like, what? So, so he was strong. It sounds like the scene from um, one of the many Fast and Furious movies where the Rock has his arm in a cast and just tenses his muscles and the cast bursts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was this guy, Simon Foot, man. He was he was a great guy as well, like good friend, but like sweet as anything, but definitely the biggest guy in the school, man. He would like his hands were also so strong. It was like just big and buff and ripped and like the girls just loved him and <laughs> he just loved the boys so the girls were kind of upset about that but that just sounds like i could see that in the front of like a men's health magazine it was like this new summer v-shaped body plan dislocate <laughs> oh, your hips man. at birth with like cast yeah around on the skateboard like no that's not really yeah wow that's there was him there was a uh, yucky uh there was yucky with the farmer but there was another guy yanni he also he got like shot by security also like breaking out of a boarding school at night sneaking over to the girls oh. hostel and security shot him thinking he's a burglar oh he ended up playing wheelchair basketball because of that oh, my like, days man interesting stuff man it's like that's that's the wheelchair guys and the half of the guys that weren't in wheelchairs i'm surprised they weren't because they also came from rough rough neighborhood <laughs> yeah could have very easily yeah. been yeah uh, I, th I think out of everybody we've ever had on here and spoken to and probably all the origin stories we've ever heard it's always just like oh uh, birth defects or oh you know, something was wrong with my leg, went wrong, got had to have it amputated. I think you may have just given us like the three most out there stories we've ever heard, and you've get, like <laughs> delivered them in the span of like five minutes. Also, there's, I think there's some rough ones. Everyone who plays wheelchair basketball knows someone oh, who's like lost a leg in a story that your friends would be like, no. Oh, yeah, it's um, it's like the the Harry Brown thing of having like twelve different stories of how he's lost his leg, and he just used to pick one at random, be it like a shark attack yeah. or being dropped in a blender by his brother, and his legs just <laughs> being taken away. And you'd be like, no, no, the blender thing can't be true. And then you'd meet his brother Jack and be like, yeah. blender's back on the card. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Harry Brown's brothers. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some there's some rough stories, man. I mean, like uh, probably the roughest one I've ever heard is. Uh, Oh, uh, Simon Nunn. I think that's oh, yeah. the roughest one I've ever heard. I mean, like in South Africa, being a, like just a turbulent country, there's some some interesting stuff that happened. I mean, there yeah. was a guy, uh, uh, he was not Russian, he was Ukrainian. Uh, he got shot, the drug deal got bad, gone bad. And his friend, Leon Fleischer, also one pointer, he was actually a bouncer at a really infamous nightclub in Johannesburg. And um, a huge fight had broken out the night before. And he wasn't actually working that night. And the next night he was on duty. And the guy who got beat up by the bouncers, he came back with a gun. Mistook my friend Leon, the guy who beat him up the night before, just walked up to him from behind, put the gun against his back and pulled the trigger. Oh. Like fell down. And when he like sort of rolled over, put the gun to his head and said, now you die. Um, the gun was fired. The other bouncers jumped in, took him out. He got arrested and whatever. And Leon survived. But yeah, he was a one-pointer. Wow. So, yeah, and, and funny enough, he, he always said that 
it's kind of karma, even though he wasn't involved in that fight. He said he was a real asshole and he had beaten the snot out of people that he really didn't deserve. I mean, there was, there was a deaf guy one night that left the club and he called him back and the guy just kept walking. And as you leave the pub, there's like a long flight of stairs going down and he just put a boot to the back of this guy's oh, like shoulder blades, picked him all the way down the stairs. And the guy's face planted at the bottom of the stairs and his friends came out. I was like, dude, he can't hear you. He's deaf. Oh, oh, like, oh, oh. Wow, so he says, oh. like, and he always said to me, he's like, I got shot. And then whenever anybody asked me about it, I remember that not a keep the guy down the street. You're like, yeah, okay. So you maybe, know? yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe yeah. So that was going to be a question I was going to ask you whether, like, growing up in a place that you described as turbulent would have sort of impacted the sort of like the sort of disabilities that you saw people had in terms of like, People ending up in like more spinal yeah. injuries from guns or like weird action yeah. stuff, but you've you've answered that yeah. pretty yeah. clearly. It's like some, some of them, yeah, some of them are like turbulent uh, stories. Some of them are just stupid stories. I mean, there's a friend of mine, Dougie Vessels. He he had a bike accident, broke his leg, and he was fine. The ambulance got there, um, like said, "Look, we need to you know immobilize you and put you on the stretch." And they strapped him down, picked him up started walking into the ambulance. Uh, they had, didn't have like a, a stretch with wheels. So they were like, just put him on a stretch right by the ambulance. Um, someone had stolen a car just recently and they were coming down the road and thought it was a roadblock and they decided to barge what they thought oh, was a roadblock. My days. The two, the, the ENTs, they sort of panicked, dropped him and Dougie was lying there strapped to the stretcher, couldn't move and saw the car just barreling down on him. And, couldn't do anything and yeah uh-huh. the car just came just drove over him and well, yeah and that was uh, his back shattered and that's all I, <laughs> I feel like you could go through i feel like these are, are only scratching the surface of the stories you could t- <laughs> tell us but um there's some I, dumb stuff in. it's Can funny europe <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny because i was about to say when you said that you started playing wheelchair basketball as, as part of the school team i was about to remark how progressive that seemed for a school in the 90s <laughs> and yet you tell me about how half the people ended up you know partaking none of that sounds quite as progressive as the school being ready for <laughs> But um, yeah, that's some um, that's some horror stories, man. If we ever get you back in, we should do like a specials episode where we just go through these one by one. <laughs> yeah, like a Halloween episode or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, some rough stuff. Man. Yeah, there's some rough stuff. I'm gonna have to like send this to you while, like after we're done to make sure you haven't just put anyone's business online to make sure we're good to publish. But yeah. So anyway. Uh, a couple of years after that, you decided to make the jump over to Europe and you played in Barcelona first. Barcelona, yes. Uh, that was an interesting story. Um, like, Spain, I was a bit of a problem child. It was way under like, break. It was yeah. way worse than that. Was, I've always been a free spirit and like, scared of nothing. So my friend, actually, Leon Fleischer, the guy who got shot at the, at the nightclub, sure. um, he, he was just farting around on the internet one day and he saw... Um, an ad for a team in Barcelona looking for players to help them out the, just for the last bit of the season. So he just like volunteered my information, phoned me up. He's like, hey, Richie, I've just replied to a, like an ad on the internet for a team in Barcelona looking for, for players. I knew it's something you'd be interested in. I'm like, yeah, cool. He's like, and I've you know, given your mom's email address. I was like, yeah, sweet. And like 10 days later, I quit my job. 
and had a plane ticket, had a visa, and I was sitting in Barcelona 10 days later. Yeah. 10th of March, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. nuts, man. Getting that turnaround in 10 days when you... Yeah. And yeah. I, I didn't move out of my parents' house into my own flat or apartments or something. I like moved out of my parents' house to Barcelona. Yeah. I, like, wow. From Johannesburg, South Africa to Barcelona. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. I was like, what's the worst that can happen? And like, my mom, she was terrified. She's like, well, yeah, yeah. she's like, oh, be careful. It's like, you don't speak the language, but she, she never held me back. She's like, well, look, if like yeah. out of between me and my brother, she's like, well, if anyone's going to pull this off, it's going to be rich. She's like, well, <laughs> so, how, like a cockroach, it's just going to survive. It's like, that's <laughs> how old were you when you jumped to Barcelona? Sorry, I was 20 years old, right? Okay, because yeah, it- and yeah. What what you've described there's not a hundred not like a million miles different from my jump to uh, Padova because I went when I was eighteen I did the same move you said like out of my mum and dad's house to living on my own. Um, yeah. Obviously, going from South Africa to Spain is probably a much bigger culture shift than uh, remaining in Europe. But yeah, I mean the ten day turnaround thing is crazy because yeah, I, th- I think and probably the same for you, James. But like when. Uh, I signed up to be going to Italy. It was like a three month, four month in advance thing. And I, I spent, yeah. I spent like three months getting myself ready and like learning some Italian and stuff, hoping that I'd survive. Um, but yeah, I can't, I cannot fathom the idea of like getting ready and get, especially with visas and stuff, doing all yeah. that in 10 days to a country where you don't That's speak. That's just very language. rich. You just, be, just be like, yeah, figure it out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was a steep learning curve, right? Oh like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like when I got there, um, I, I tried to sort of learn Spanish, but that was that was complicated because in Barcelona at that time, like you try and speak Spanish and they just speak back to you in Catalan. Yeah. So I mean, she was like, you know what? Um, You're not going to learn Catalan. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm just not going to learn. What am I going to do with Catalan if I leave Catalonia? I can't speak <laughs> anymore. So like, nah. then I just kind of spoke English. Um, I had uh, a flatmate who's, uh, he was, he's Moroccan, but he'd lived in the States for six years at that time point and he was the other guy who'd responded to the ad and, and ended up there in Barcelona with me and he was married to a Dominican woman at the time so he spoke a little bit of Spanish right so that helped us so that's kind of like how we got by and uh we was the I would probably say the single responsible thing he ever did because between him and I we got a serious mischief in Barcelona <laughs> <laughs> That's that's where I grew up, and I was a kid before I went to Barcelona. I'll tell you what, I, I became a I became a man in Barcelona. So that's <laughs> what was the oh. league like back then? Um, like, were there many pro teams or? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, at that point, it was just like at the beginning of the golden era in Italy. But like Spain was good, man. We there was a a guy, um, Jeff Glossman, American player, who was just oh man, he was so dominant at that point like he he only played inside the key he couldn't reach the basket from the edge of the key like he had like he couldn't reach like he used to take rolling free throws i think apparently someone told me he still does he still plays and when he, oh, wow. he still has to take he rolls to the back of the, the circle of the free throw line then takes a push throws the ball and then breaks his chair before he goes over the line you know so uh, but he was so dominant because his chair skills man were amazing he just like his first push and his change of direction was amazing and he like dominated uh like the spanish league until well i just figured it was like 
well, foul him and make him go to the free throw line. Can't reach. Yeah, and then, and then everybody kind of like, oh, hang on, Rich is onto something. So all the teams started doing it. And that kind of basically ended his career almost. <laughs> but yeah, it's like everybody's like, well, he can't reach the free throw line. It's like, so if he gets in the key, just foul him. If he gets the ball, foul him. Let him shoot twice. Yeah. See, see usually, usually the people who come up with strategies like that are the exact kind of people who actually don't use any of their own fouls and they just let their teammates rack them up. And they're like, hey, don't, don't worry, yeah. boys. I'll, I'll rack the points up on the other end. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> But yeah, but it it was a good league. I mean, there was he he played there. It, it was interesting as well because he had like him was like a serious professional. Like he he trained hard. He ate correctly. He he was like you know like a real professional in all all aspects. And then he had like provider uh, lead. There was a Cuban guy playing, who his right. strap was uh, a speed belt out of an old taxi that he stole <laughs> in Cuba, and he used to tie a knot in it. And he had this really big belly, and it was it was really funny. It's like you look at the two like opposing spectrums. You like yeah. this real tough professional American player that's paid to play. He was playing for Fondosa at that time, which is now uh, Illunion. Yeah. And you got the Cuban guy playing for for Valladolid, who's like literally ties a knot. His strap was an old seat belt out of a captain. <laughs> ties a knot in. It's mine. It's crazy, man. His yeah. chair looked like something that was like. Two different wheelchairs that have been sort of welded together. What was left of two different wheelchairs welded together or something? It was, you know, it was interesting. But it was, it was good. It was like, I mean, it was different times. The rules weren't as refined. Yeah, it was, it was rough. It was tougher back then. You played basketball with the team with the biggest heart. The, the players who played the hardest kind of one. Where now you need to be disciplined, focused, execute a strategy, make the least mistakes, that kind of thing. You know, back then it was more of like just a Go to war. And yeah. yeah the hardest. <laughs> the the biggest, toughest, yeah. most, most able team would be yeah, the time as well. Like you see, yeah. one thing I noticed from watching watching old man basketball, I'll call it, yeah. uh, even <laughs> from a little bit before your time towards the start of your career, a lot of it's like, oh, this guy can just move way better than everyone else. That's like, like Troy Sachs was one of the first oh, ones where it's just like, this guy was just moving way better. He was obviously like, amazing at basketball yeah, but like yeah. a lot of it was just like he was so much he was so physically dominant and i think that was one of the big differences he, he that was, stuck out yeah he was the first guy in my opinion anyway he was the first guy to sort of completely change the game and make people see the game in a different way because when i started playing basketball like if you were a four five you had one job get inside the key receive the ball and shoot from under the basket. You didn't shoot from outside the key. You weren't expected to be fast. You weren't expected to be agile. You were just expected to be taller than anybody else kind of thing. That was your job as a four or five, you know? And then Troy Sachs came onto the seat and this guy was defending hard. He was like attacking hard. He was like pushing past players. And then he was doing something that like no one understood why he was doing that thinking he's crazy he was shooting from outside the key and people are like but four fives don't do that that's yeah. the twos and the two fives job because they're too small from shoot, to shoot from inside the key and Floyd Sachs was suddenly shooting from outside the key and it just completely changed everybody's view on how basketball works they're like oh hey I can do more than just pushing inside the key you know one point yeah. for the four five and then sure. the four five gets well it's like hang on this guy can actually create so much 
more dynamic to the game. Yeah. It's like, you know, can yeah. really so yeah, he was he was a huge impact on, on basketball. Yeah. I mean, he's known for you know for two things like changing the game and being the biggest in basketball. So, <laughs> yeah. I think I think, it's like, I think like, that's like amazing. You see like wheelchair basketball is kind of progressed at a fairly steady pace. Then there's just these like jumps up where a certain player figures out how to oh, do yeah. something or like a rule changes or like you know, it's mostly players figure out how to do something or, or as you say, like just someone who's just athletically different from everyone else or someone goes, hey, why don't we try and do it like this? But yeah. that must be like, that must be really interesting having played for so long, seeing the different things that have like changed the game. What else would you like give credit for having changed wheelchair basketball? I think, I think actually athletes themselves, I think one of the things is actually like enlightenment. Um, when I started playing wheelchair basketball i watched players like toy sacks and then eventually there was patrick anderson you know i used to watch them and, and look at how they do things and like oh okay and it literally you get on court and you just you know that you are capable of more because you've actually seen it done yeah. and like i through my basketball career it was fairly easy to be a dominant player because i was Athletic. I was usually the quickest one on the court. Um, I couldn't really shoot from outside. I had to learn that once everybody just started getting so damn big. Like, I'm a midget, man. It's like I used to be a big guy like 20 years ago. Now, like you got Lee Manning and you got the Sassuela brothers and you got Costco and you, yeah. I can't compete with that. So I had to, you know, sort of change, change how I played. I had to learn how to shoot from outside because well, I wasn't sure. going to get anything inside. Yeah. But like, you know, people learn from each other and got better. Like the level, the actual skill level in basketball players now is so much higher. I mean, we're so much more professional. It's like where I was younger, it was easy. I've always been naturally athletic. So for me, it was easy. I was like, but as years have gone on, I'm like, guaranteed my age is obviously a factor, but people are getting better. They're getting faster, yeah. quicker. Their, their skills are getting better. They they're learning you because I mean, like one thing that I never got taught in basketball is you know defend the passing lane, which Jorge Sanchez, for example, is very good at. Mendel is phenomenal at that. He's like knows where the ball's going to be and when it's going to be there. Yeah, you know he, he's really good at that. Like that's things that I never got taught. You know, coming into basketball. Yeah. Sure. So there's obviously the the studying the game, but also I think athletes themselves need to get the credit for having stepped up you know and yeah like it's so much more competitive now like sure. everybody's actually pushing themselves to the limits and being as quick as they can be and as fit as they can be and working on their feeling like 20 years ago it was not as people did not work as, as hard as they do now and weren't as fit to as fast or as quick so yeah yeah, kudos. yeah i think it's um it's interesting you say about switching your game up to go from being primarily like a traditional big to being an, an outside guy, because I think if like you to ask anybody who's kind of up and coming within wheelchair basketball now who had seen you play and you were like, give me the bullet points on Richard's game, they'd be like, oh, he's, you know, he's an outside shooter. Like, that's what people would think of you at, at this point, because you've obviously developed that because the games demanded it. Um but I think I think to your point about the you saying the old school thing used to be the twos and the two fives shot outside primarily. I think you see now the kind of the games consolidated in a way that the role players 
in this day and age are so much better than they ever were in kind of, like you say, the start of your career or whatever else. I think there's always top guys like Pat Anderson, Steve Serio still knocking around now. I don't think the peak level of wheelchair basketball players has increased hugely in like 20 years. I think the best guys are still the best guys by a lot. But the you watch kind of old games and you're like, man, some of the lows and the guys who've obviously got less body capability are terrible compared to what you'd, yeah. ex- what you'd expect now, just because the kind of everyone's expected to have kind of the spectrum of skills. You know, you get lows like in Turkey who play inside primarily, um, yeah. like Ishmael R and those guys who just play the dump down layup game. And if you suggested that with some of the lows from like the late nineties, early two thousands, like the bigs would have shot with three guys on them before they'd have <laughs> dumped it to those, yeah. those guys for a layup. Like the shift in the dynamics of the game is just nuts, but it's yeah. cool that it's cool that you've been around to see kind of the the evolution of that. Yeah, it's just been very very interesting. Like seeing um, like one pointers, for example, man. Like they looked terrible on court twenty years ago. It yeah. was it was embarrassing, man. Now you have <laughs> Yannick Blair, yeah. and you're like guy's a machine man like the guy's just it's it's insane it's like you want to bump him a point up just because he's that good (laughs) you know it's really it's like uh, i love it like playing against that guy is is, it's just so much fun it's like you cannot underestimate he just plays so hard yeah which is like i think just generally like an australian thing i mean those those boys are tough they 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 are hard yeah i've always i've loved playing against the australian because like you can you can get physical with them and not not be scared you're gonna hurt their feelings. So. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. you, you you played in the team with a couple of Australians or over your years in Italy, right? We're I'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. So you went Barcelona next stop in Gran Canaria. That didn't work out. We'll not talk about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get we'll we'll get to your second stint in Gran Canaria near the end. So you then went to Italy during what was probably still the golden age, right? Um, yeah, uh, I went to Italy. Yeah. Cause when I came to Gran Canaria, I was actually, what had happened was I played the two seasons in Barcelona. I'd went home when I went, when I got home from my second season in Barcelona, um, I got home now, whenever I'd land in South Africa, my whole family would be there. My mother and sister it would be my mom, my dad, and my brother. And I actually got home and just my brother was there. And immediately I thought you know, something's a bit weird. And I was like, hey, well, you know, Ryan, what's up? He's like, listen, mom had a car accident this morning. Dad's at the hospital with him. And he said, he'll meet us at home. And well, yeah, the car ride home was it's a one hour drive from the airport. And it was just dead silence because, well, we both kind of figured that my dad had been underplaying the story. And we got home and my dad just said to me, he's like, listen, boys, your mom didn't make it. So yeah, Jeez. that was. I landed at eleven o'clock in the morning. She passed away at seven o'clock that same morning. Jeez. So yeah, it was that was pretty rough. And uh, then I kind of just yeah had to deal with that. And so I didn't I didn't sign up for another season in Europe anyway. Sure. And then a friend of mine, Carlos Olivares, who played with me in Barcelona, he'd like said to me, "Hey, I've seen you're not playing in the league this season. You know, would you like to come over to Canarias?" And that was like like a month into the season or something. And I was like. Yeah, I'll think about it. And I just kind of left it at that. And it was over December that he'd said to me, he's like, hey, you know, would you like to come over? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And they're like, well, okay. And we literally in that same day negotiated a deal. And yeah, I went off to the embassy, applied for a visa. 
and like after the December break, then I went over to Canaries, played here. Um, they wanted to have me back, but uh, yeah, I'd already decided to go to Italy because we we'd had a Vergaon Cup here, and uh, yeah. an Italian coach came over, and he'd spoken to me. He's like, "Listen, you know, we'd be interested in having you. We've got this project we're doing with a team, and whatever in Italy or Santo Stefano." And um, I wanted to go to Italy because I'd spent at that point, oh, I'd been call it three years, total time, probably two years, but like, you know, like yeah, sure. three seasons. Yeah. Insane. And I was very curious to go to Italy. I spoke a bit of Spanish at that point yeah. and I wanted to go to Italy, learn some Italian. See hey, Italy, you got, kind of got to try the food, man. That's for, first yeah, exactly. and foremost. So, yeah. Yeah. so I, yeah. So then I went over to Italy, like the team took me out for dinner one night to discuss coming back the next season. And I just said, to them, I was like, oh, guys, I don't even like want to hear an offer because I want to leave. It's a me thing. I want to go, not because I'm not happy here, but, yeah. you know, because I, I need to go see Italy. Sure. It's like, I'll come back one day. You know, it's like, I'll be back. I love this place. Um, yeah, and funny enough, I did. I was like, they'd been like on and off. I've contacted the team and then they're like, ah, oh, we've just signed. You should have spoken to us a month earlier or a couple of weeks ago. Then there's been times they've contacted me and I've been like, oh, I've just signed with another team. <laughs> Sorry. So it's been like an on and off thing for years with them. Um, until, yeah, we were, my wife and I were actually immigrating to England. It was like, okay, I'm done with basketball. Might play a little bit for the... He was going to go play for Titan. Yeah. Was gonna oh, play for would have had to hate no, you, Richie. That no, would have no, been, no. okay. been a real shame. Can't have that. We'll get yeah. we'll get into that on a different episode. That That's a deep yeah. rabbit hole. So yeah, so we were going over to London. We'd like done all my paperwork. I'd, I'd had to go do an English exam in Rome. <laughs> so to go do an English exam, I'm like, come on, man. I come from a country that you guys like conquered. You can say it, like, colonized. You can say yes, it. Yes, like very English. It's like we speak English because you made us speak English. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like, yeah, I had to go do an English exam. I did that. I had to do a whole bunch of tests. I had to get a, a TB test. And I spent a whole lot of money on working on a process on a process of, of immigrating to England. My wife was in, in, in London working there. Sure. Um, you know, getting all the papers because she has a very fast one. So, and I was in Italy. Instead of being in South Africa, the theory was if I'm playing in Italy, we're close and we can get to see each other every once in a while. Um, which didn't work out as well as we wanted to, but yeah, we basically get to see each other and it was always a lot cheaper than trying to get a flight to, to South Africa or to England from South Africa. Yeah. So yeah, we were, had all our paperwork done, spent a ton of money. And then uh, my friend Frank, the team manager from here, just, he, he called me like in January or something and said, hey, listen, would you be interested in coming back? I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. I didn't even mention it to my wife because I was like, she's just going to tell me to shut up. Because <laughs> After all this After paperwork. All this, like a week, he called me on a Wednesday and says, hey, listen, man, have you thought about it? Do you want to come back to the island? <clears throat> um, I need to know by Monday morning. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll speak to my wife and see what she says. And I thought it was just going to be like a hard no. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, Frank called and this is what he said. She was like, well, absolutely not unless these conditions are met. So I'm like, well, that's not the answer I was expecting from you. <laughs> like, but okay. I was like, it's pretty harsh and steep. I was like, I'll put it to him and see what he says. Thinking they're going to be like, nah, you know, it's like we, we can't do that. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. You know, sure. we've got a plan. We're going to London. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got the plan. And yeah, I put it to him and like the next morning he just uh, sent me a message to check your emails. Uh, we've sent you a contract. I was like, oh. Yo. Contract? I was like, oh, wow. 
So then I called my wife. I was like, listen, um, you know, this is what's happening. She's like, oh, man. I was like, we need to answer him by 10 o'clock on Monday morning. This was like on the Thursday or the Friday. So we took the weekend to think about it. And they're like, well, okay, London, Las Palmas. Well, oh, yeah. Tough, okay, tough call. Tough There's call. Nothing wrong. Yeah, nothing wrong with London, but I mean, come on, man. Las Palmas. I, I, I'll, I'll argue with you there, man. As a as a vehement northerner, London sucks and is really expensive. <laughs> so you've made the Yes, it is. It's insanely expensive. And that's the thing. It was one of the the arguments we made was like, yeah, you could have fun in London, but it's expensive. If you move your butt out of the house, you gotta spend money. Yeah. Yeah. It's like here, yeah, you can just go to the beach and it's free. Yeah. You know, it's like literally. I, I walk out of here, I buy six beers for five euros and take it down to the beach with me. Just pop like, yourself down there and that's yeah, it. Yeah, it's like in <laughs> London, you go to a pub, you buy one beer and it's five pounds. So like, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah, yeah if you've done, you done well to get a beer for a five of there and you get glared at by everybody you make eye contact with accidentally. Yeah. And the view is not half as nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could always do weather spoons, but I mean, that can get dodgy oh. and have to be beers on Mondays. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't oh. do weather spoons under any circumstances, man. You you should see the state of every weather spoons in the country now that the um, lockdowns and stuff are starting to lift. We had to drive past one the other day and there was a queue like half a mile up the road because people oh. had, had like a half an hour spot booked at weather spoons. You, you would think from seeing the queue that like somebody had died on the pavement and they were like cordoning stuff <laughs> off. It was ridiculous. Man. I, I used to think it was class and then I don't remember the specifics, but I remember the guy who owns it's an absolute scumbag. So I've kind of tried to not go back since, but that's hard to do. If you're trying to avoid companies that are run by scumbags, you're kind of yeah. living a very yeah. minimal yeah. life. If, if that's what if that's what you're doing, then about your only option for entertainment is to wander down to the beach and plonk yourself down there because nobody owns the beach. Yeah. Can't monetize it, that. who makes the beers. I think the people who make Tropical are probably good. They've been good to me. Yeah. <laughs> the people who, the people who yeah. make the local lager have been fairly good to me in the last year and a half. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, that, I don't know. Um, but yeah, you missed out a whole big point in there where you went to Italy and you played with some absolutely amazing teams. Along the way, you've told me some mad stories about some of the teammates you had in Santa Stefano. Yeah, can you can you can you give us a, the sort of the the, the sort of Hollywood Walk of Fame of who you've had in your teams in, <laughs> well, in Italy because you've had some like, yeah, we, you had we some had killers in that on those early Santa Stefano teams. Team, man, in Santa Stefano, it was an insane training regime. Um, but yeah, it was a loaded team, and but I think there was just too much. Like on paper, it was, it was who was there just for the listeners? Well, we had we had uh, Tristan Knowles, right? Um, Good start. Was, yeah, Mateusz Filipski. We had uh, another uh, Polish player, Martin Vrobel, a friend of Mateusz, who was also really good. Uh, um, yes, it was stuff we had, uh, even what was um, um, the, the Belgian guy, he's he playing there now again. Dimitri, Dimitri. Dimitri, yeah. Dimitri, and like, Tang, Tange. at that point, yeah, yeah Dimitri Tange, yeah, yeah. he was, what a he team, was man. yeah, man, he was. Over points, but it's a good team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, well, it was a loaded team, man, but it was like, just like, too much character. I think at some points, like, a lot of us just got caught up with, like, trying to be better than each other and yeah. not trying to, to actually 
I'm going to say when the first two people you listed were Tristan Knowles and Mateusz Filipski, I cannot imagine a single training session went down without nearly coming into a fight <laughs> at some point. Oh, no, there was a couple of times, man. There was a couple yeah. of times. We had uh, Giampietro Stimula as well, who's a really nice guy. Oh, yeah, he's and, a um, Port Saros now, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, there, was, there was an incident where I actually had to, to get in between and Jumpy and I were, were really good friends and I had to like get in there because he was going to go. And right. like, he, he, that wasn't, he, he didn't enough to post and he's like that, that he's just elbowed me while I was falling out of my chair. It's on. <laughs> I'm like, wow. no, no. Like, yeah, it's, there, there was, there was some like, uh, there, there was some tension and some, yeah. a lot of physical, excessive physical uh, contact in yeah. training. So. I'd, yeah, I'd say there's not just okay. We'll get in and we'll just go up and down for an hour to get a flat on. I'd say all of these scrimmages were we're counting scores, and you better believe we're trying to win. Yeah. Oh yeah, I uh, think that sounds amazing. That can, that can like absolutely make yeah. players like just yeah, having absolutely. a good group around you to scrimmage. Yeah, train uh, even. Oh, yeah. And I think you're um. What you said about the strong personalities, I think looking back now, that was kind of the burnout of several of the Italian like golden era superpowers because there was one team that at some point or other was like Simon Munn, Justin Everson, and Johnny Pollock all on one team, right? Yes. And yeah, then, <laughs> it's like, man, if that team wasn't bred for like bickering and infighting, I couldn't show you a team that was. Yeah. <laughs> That's like every year there's an NBA team that is like, these guys are going to win everything unless. Yeah, unless. And then more often than not, they end up being like, "Ah, oh, this guy yeah. didn't get on well with this guy." Yeah, or like that's the goal. And it, it all... one of the great things about us right now. Like, we're all actually friends, and it's like real stupid because yeah. like you don't think that makes that much of a difference. But the amount of other teams it that come fun. up to us that are like, "You guys all get on so well, and you play such good basketball," and blah blah blah. blah. Like, yeah. it's it's so much fun to be a part of. Like, it that's is. one of the cool I things about being. It has here. a huge impact on like the fact that we all get along i think it has a huge impact on uh, it's definitely a huge part to play in the fact that we have done as well as we have i mean we have games where we play exceptionally well and then we have games where we play exceptionally bad but like <laughs> we're all just as much friends on the days we win as on the days we lose that's the thing is like no one's ever like you didn't pass me the ball you didn't pick for me that's yeah. just not what happens. Everybody's like, man, we screwed up and, you know, we need to look look at ourselves and see why. And there's never been a game that we've lost and people are pointing fingers like, oh, yeah. James did this or Ricky did this. Or, it never happened, you know. It's, yeah. it's like we lose and we're like, yeah, man, we need to we need to see what went wrong and fix it. And that's everybody's sort of point of view, which yeah. is great. Yeah. I just so- remember... Sorry, I just remember really early on last season, there was one time we went, first game of the season, we went away last year and just absolutely blew it against Vigo. Uh, they beat us and really should not have. And I remember the Monday after that, we all went over to your house, watched the game, ordered food, and then sat in the sun and talked about it. And I was like, yeah. so we're sitting in the sun, eating takeaway <laughs> and dissecting a basketball game. I think I'll be fine here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we're going the, in depth about like, yeah. so if we take this angle for this pick, and I was like, this is, this if, is, this perfect, is what, if this is what losses bring me, then I can live with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think to your point on the team chemistry thing, you don't realize how valuable it is that friction between guys on the team isn't even something that you would ever think to worry about. 
like once you land in that situation, you're like, oh, we can, you know, this game hasn't gone the way we expected, but we know we're not going to have to do hours of damage control, you know, next to practice sessions or whatever is just really valuable because it leaves time for the stuff that actually does matter. But I think everyone's probably been on teams with egos and stuff that get in the way of that kind of thing. And you can't have a loss or like even a bad quarter or a bad possession without somebody having something to say about it. And it's just really draining, man, when it does, when it works out that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Like, I mean, in, in our team, like if someone misses a pass, someone will be like, come on, man, you got to focus, you got to switch on. You know, and the response is, yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, I think James mentioned like when he was thinking of coming, as someone said to him, it was like, well, do you really want to go play in that team? All it is is Richard and Jorge screaming at each other. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah. Being, I remember, I remember being told and about I, that conversation. Yeah, it's like, Jorge and I, we'll scream at each other in a game, but it's to try and get the message across as quick and as clear as possible. Yeah. And usually, like, Jorge would be like, yeah, okay, I got you. Uh, or I'll be like, yeah, okay, I've got this. I mean, there was an instance we played um, when we played in Sheffield when I didn't have a chair and I couldn't get into the country. You were playing in Tom uh, Smith's chair. I was, chair. I was playing in Tom Smith's chair. I couldn't really fit into the chair. It was ridiculous. And eventually, <laughs> at one point, Jorge screaming at me. He's like, for goodness sake, stop the old guy. I'm like, I can't move the chair. He's like, you come over and do this. Let me go over there and do that. And he's like, okay, <laughs> problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it. Yeah. I was no. like, I can't. I'm sorry. It's like, I'd love to help you out. I just, I cannot do what you're asking me to do right now. It's like, you come over and do this. I can handle that. What so, you I can do that. Yeah. I can't be so, that's very, that's, that's very valuable. I think that was something that I had to learn growing up where I used to take it bad if people were yelling at me, where it's like, someone yells at you, like, take the information from it and kind of leave the tone at yeah. the door. Someone yeah. yells at you, like, they're just trying to, like, okay, they've got one one word to get you to do this thing that you need to do right now. So sure. they're going to yell yeah. at you loud and sharp. And it's like, and like oh, that's not to say that sometimes people aren't just being horrible, but like most yeah. of the case, I've been very lucky. No, I, but think... I just used to take it bad when I was younger. And it's like, sure. no, they're just trying I, to I get think I think everyone does that though, but I also think it's probably just a statement of fact that shouting gets noticed way better than just saying it to someone. So well-intentioned shouting is probably the best method of communication if people are able to take it. It's just the way it is. You're playing a basketball game and you need to communicate information really quick and concise. The best way to do it is to shout. You've got other people shouting and cheering or whatever. And I want you to push your chair. I'm going to scream at James Porch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, James, you're really lazy and you're slow in what I'm saying to you, you should take really personally. No, I'm saying push your chair, get back on defense because they're attacking hard. We need to switch on. Yeah. like that's yeah. the message. Take, yeah, like James says, take the message, not the tone. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, just while while we touched on that Sheffield Euro Cup where you were in the borrowed chair, that was the same tournament where um, we played you guys in the final, right? And you did the, it was the only time I've ever seen it you landed an intentional foul on Harry that completely took his wheel off his chair in a way I've never, ever seen. Do you remember that one? Snapped the axle, right? Or the... Yes, yeah, the, the axle snapped, but it looked like... I think you hit him from that side. And the wheel just... It was like the wheel came off on the front of your chair yeah, as if you, you looked like a Land Rover with a spare tire on the bonnet. <laughs> I mean, I really... Obviously, I was trying to, to, to pick up a foul, and the referees were just like, No, we're not going to blow it. And I was like, incrementally, incrementally, like, fouling harder. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, enough is enough. Was like, right now, they're going to blow a foul. 
<laughs> took three pushes off the sideline and straight into the side of Harry's chair and just went snap. Because it wasn't the axle, it was the frame actually, wasn't it? Like, because if it was an axle, you could have just. Yeah, I, I think, think the actual frame snapped. I think it was that the because the axle sits inside the insert in the which is like a separate bit of the frame, right? There's like the frame itself, then the insert, then the axle goes into the insert, and I think the actual insert snapped inside. Yeah, the chair. I remember it being something that he couldn't play. Yeah, through. you couldn't get the wheel off. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> Flopping on the side of his chair was there, but useless. So I had to shoot his free throws after watching the game for 38 and a half minutes and I airballed the first one. I was so cold. But no, that was... It was all part of Richard's plan, man. Yeah. Hey, hey, get this guy in the game. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. One thing just on that, like, I think that's a thing that referees on the whole need to get better at. Like, in the NBA, if you need to file at the end of the game, the referees understand so that you don't need to go and try and hurt someone. You yeah, just exactly. go, you walk over, and as soon as you tap someone, the ref's like, all right, cool, because yeah. it's part of basketball. The amount of games that I've seen yeah. ruined by no call, no call, no call, no call on sportsmen, like, it's yeah. just like, <laughs> game's over yeah. now, man. Like, you've ruined any game that's within, like, five points from, yeah, like, sure. any chance of it being interesting by not exactly. calling anything. And, th- and that, that does make it interesting, as you know, when people actually start playing the rules. I mean, the referee's job is to uphold the rules. You know, we know what the rules are, and if we're going to foul because we want to put someone on the line, if, if it's a foul, you should, blow the, you should blow the call. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah. I, d- I definitely agree with you on that. So yeah, I, I once... Like... Sorry, go ahead. Got you. Um... Yeah, I once got told by a referee, end of a close game, similar situation. We missed a shot and the guy on their team pulled the rebound down. And he, I like tapped him in my foot plate once, tapped him again and was like next, the referee was like here, like watching the Paris, tapped him again, nothing. And he, he got like four or five dribbles and got into the front court and somebody wiped him out with a foul at this point. So he was shooting free throws and I said to the ref, I was like, look, I was in front of you. I was doing everything shy of being like, I would like to be given a foul. Please stop the clock. And the <laughs> the ref said to me, he was like, this is, a, he used some bogus made up term that he definitely just come up with on the spot. And he was like, these guys are in the lead. Why should I give you the advantage by putting him on the line? I was like, because that's the rules of basketball and always has exactly. been. And you don't get to decide that. <laughs> You don't get to decide these guys have played well enough that they shouldn't have to shoot free throws at the end. They deserve to win, so let's let them have it. Yeah, you're like, this is one of the reasons that a game of basketball that's like six points with a minute to go is still a game. Like, if not, if not mathematically, you could just cut it with a minute to go. You're up like seven. Like, Like, there's no point. You could do the thing that they do at the end of an NFL game where you're like, up a certain amount with the ball in your hands and you're just like, okay, it's over. Like, Yeah, we'll just like hold, hold just it in the huddle for a long time. Yeah. Um, I've been in that game also, like trying to foul a guy and uh, the ref's like, I'm just not going to blow the foul. I said, look, and I said to the referee, I was like, look, I'll kill him if I have to, but eventually you're going to blow the whistle. So you're going to foul on me for, for, for saying I'm going to kill the guy if I have to. <laughs> you're like, oh, you so it does like, work great. It's like, I told you you're going to blow a foul. It's like, <laughs> Oh, that'd be amazing if you were like i don't really care if they blow a tech for some reason so you're just like i need the ref to blow a whistle so i'll just call the referee in the end. <laughs> oh man oh all right should we shift on okay what what have you got next mark i said what have you got next okay so you've got the list on your phone i'm i'm uh, poor, poorly prepared for this podcast i didn't even make our guest dinner beforehand but i did don't worry i got that covered <laughs> um only thing apart from questions that people have sent in 
that I wanted to ask you about was your Paralympic experiences because we've talked we've talked a lot about club, but you have been to how many Paralympics? Three. Uh, I should have trusted myself. I, I, I knew it was three, but I didn't want to well, get no, it wrong. No, nobody would have known you were wrong because Richard just held three fingers up, and no one's ever going to see the video output of this. <laughs> no, that's kind of why I was doing. It. I was like, let me help you out here. <laughs> I thought it was three. So yeah. So first one wasn't it? That was Sydney, man. Two thousand. That was an interesting ride. Like even getting up to that because we man. you'd been playing basketball over about. God, about eight years, you were still a baby. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I went to, because the qualifier was in 1999 in Algeria, in Algiers. At that point, um, Algeria was in a civil war that no one knew about. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was an interesting tournament. Um, the highlights of that tournament uh, would be, and none of these have anything to do with basketball. <laughs> like one was the 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 bus that was still smoking that the police had shot up and blown up. Like as we were driving to our hotel, um, that was one of the highlights. The other highlight was uh, me like swimming in the little lagoon that was next to our hotel and uh, finding uh, human remains in the water, ah. an actual body. Reporting it to, to the reception is like, listen, there's a body in the water, this an actual human body. They're like, oh yeah, we know. That was the response. Can I, like, can I just can I just interrupt right here? From the the stories you've told us about like boarding school to then turning around from London to Las Palmas to ending up at a qualifier tournament during a civil war to ev basically everything you've told us about in the last hour. Has anything straightforward ever happened to you? Have you ever been like <laughs> have you ever been like, hey, here's the plan and it's just worked out fine? Or has that never happened to you in your entire life? Um, like I've I believe in sort of like setting goals and, and challenges and trying to achieve them. But I'm also a firm believer in that we have our plan for life and life has its own plan for us. So, Fair enough. Yeah. And I've kind of always just rolled with it. So like, I mean, my dad's actually been amazed at me like numerous times, like something happens and I'm just like, yeah, well, it is what it is. We pick up the pieces and we move on. It's like, how would you reacting like that? It's like, I would use my mind. <laughs> You're like, gonna die. Mind, you? Like, like, well, yeah, I could, I could scream and shout and curse and like, you know, what am I doing? It's like, oh, I could get to fixing a problem. It's like, it is what it is, man. I mean, like I've, I've had some serious like upsets in my life and things have gone wrong. And, and part of what it's taught me is that, Crying over spilt milk doesn't put it back in the glass, man. It's like all you can do is like pick up the piece and start working to 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 fix it. That's like what what you got to do. It's like yeah, and the longer the longer it takes you to to get into that mindset, the longer it takes you to actually you know get get yourself back together or get back on your feet or whatever it is. So for sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. Life life has definitely thrown some some interesting curveballs and uh, yeah, sounds up. Yeah, <laughs> so we've gotten deep here. So anyway, you're in Algeria. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, well, it's just yeah. like, I'm so, uncomfortable. Let's bring it right, let's bring it right back to the yeah. weird stuff. So, yeah. So, we, we played that tournament. Um, I had a, an amazing tournament. The coach was Mark Walker, an Australian guy who I learned so much about basketball from this guy. Like, one, one of the things was just like a proper fighting spirit. This guy was, he was just hard, man. He used to scream all the time and he just demanded like such excellent, excellent from everybody. And he was okay if you tried and you failed, but he was not okay if you didn't try. Like, he gives you a clear instruction and you're just doing whatever you want. Like, he was not okay with it. Like, he's like, 
It's my job to make decisions and to figure out the strategy. It's your job to do what I say. So yeah. do that. And um, yeah, so, but yeah, I learned a lot from him in basketball. And we, we had a hell of a tournament. He, he coached us for four months before the qualifying. South African basketball was terrible, man. It was horrible. <laughs> it still is, to be honest. Um, and this guy took us to a level we never would have dreamed of. And he did in such a short time. And we went to this tournament and we beat teams that we've never been able to beat before. We beat Morocco. We beat um, uh, Algeria. Uh, we, we had Egypt in the final and we lost to Egypt. And at that, that point, Egypt was like the powerhouse in Africa. Okay. And, I don't think I've ever heard of Egypt having a wheelchair basketball team. So that's... Yeah. <laughs> no, like now that they, they're quite bad now. But I mean, at that point, they well, for Africa, they, they were they were the dominant dominant sort of force in, in wheelchair basketball in Africa. Sure. And uh, coming up to the game, like people just started like making excuses for, oh, yeah, we've already lost this game because of coach's bad attitude. I'm like, we haven't like the games tomorrow I'm like, what are you guys talking about but it was coming from everybody and it really just was a case of people just like the pressure was too much we performed so well and everybody just got scared yeah and so we lost to, to egypt and um we actually ended up going to sydney anyway because egypt accused the rwbf of stealing money from them or something so the rwbf just banned them so that's why you've never heard of them then yeah exactly because they they spent five years out of the international circuit because they were not allowed to compete in anything until they apologized uh, officially to the RWF in writing, wow. I just refused to do for five. Not, years. not too much of a powerhouse there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, so then yeah, that's how we ended up in Sydney, and that was amazing. Getting to actually play against uh, people like Simon Munn at that point, and and uh, Troy Sachs, yeah. and yeah, man, it was that was amazing. Like seeing all these like really top level athletes, and I was like at that point, I was nineteen years old, and being like the best basketball I've ever seen in my life. And that really sort of stirred the passion. I was like, oh, hang on. You know, like there's just yeah. so much more to be done here. There's, I could get so much better. I can like do so much more. I can see so much more. So yeah, that definitely sort of, you know, like helped put fuel on the fire, for like just the passion for basketball. Yeah, sure. it's like just what you said about the game moving forward by like players being able to watch other players and be like, Oh, I'm taking that move. Oh, if they can do yeah. that. Like, I'm sure that was amazing for you as a young guy seeing, as you yeah. say, like Troy Sachs, Simon Munn and, that- and all the stuff that they could do as fours. Cause they were two of the most formative guys in terms of like yeah. shaping how yeah. shaping kind of the two different ways that big guys play the game. Now one yeah. just like inside big physical presence who could finish off. And obviously, Troy Sachs, as we've talked about, being this more dynamic, yeah. all yeah. seeing, all doing forward. That's and, like that's a real interesting contrast. And Sydney was the Sydney was the tournament, right, where GB were ahead at halftime of the final, and Troy Sachs went ballistic. Is that right? I think that could have been. I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah because but, yeah, that, that could yeah. Yeah, there's a story. I, I don't know how um, how true it is or not, but I, there's a story that one of the GB guys, possibly Joe Giratney, threw his medal in the bin because they'd be, they'd end up with a silver. I think I don't know if that's just folklore or not, but I've heard that from uh, Colin Price, who was actually at that, played in that game. So yeah. someone uh, must have done. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody did. Um, but yeah, so. Obviously, that was your first Paralympics. I think the first time I ever actually saw you play was at London, which 
uh, I assume will be your last the last Paralympics you went to, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not, sorry, I didn't mean the last Paralympics you will ever go to. I mean your last Paralympics that you attended. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's definitely the last one I attended, yeah. And this is probably going to be the last one I compete in. So I might I might go to another one, but definitely be as a spectator. Yeah, fair enough. So, a little beer in one yeah. hand, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that was uh, that was that was a hard one, man. It was a bitter pull to swallow. It's like we went there. Um, we performed really well at uh, at the qualify, convincing win. We felt good. We we were motivated and just we severely underperformed. And um, but a lot of it was a case of like for a lot of the players, I felt they they had achieved what they wanted to achieve is to get yeah, to London. They were yeah. happy to and, be and there. They have, have the London holiday and being a Paralympian, relevant. Like, yes, exactly. Com- competing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was that was really disappointing for me. It was like uh, I joke about it, but it was actually quite bitter. It's like the Spanish, the Italians called me Ricky Iamici. Like as <laughs> like, like I had Italian players and Spanish players coming up to me, like man, you know we're just gonna beat you up. Yeah, I'm like yeah, man. Yeah, like, it's, it's not personal. It's like, but if we if we just break you or your chair, then like you guys aren't gonna put any points on the bottom. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, I think last last question based off of kind of what you've said there before we get into questions that people have sent in. You talk about South African basketball being a way behind up to that point. Is there any talent coming through South Africa now? Because it feels like Af- Africa's slowly on the on the build up. Um, actually, no. Like, I don't. I don't think that's really the case. Um, okay. We had we had some. Uh, I think Africa uh, in itself, they're becoming more, more competitive between the African countries. Right. But in terms of actually well, South Africa, uh, maybe not like the other African countries, but South Africa itself, we're, we're really struggling to, with uh, developing players because most of the actual big top like, players that are eligible to play wheelchair basketball end up doing athletics. Uh, Right, because well, I think one of the reasons for that is that the athletics just actually do more work in development, so they get to the guys first in the hospitals and the rehab centers, sure. and they all tell them the same story. Because, like, we, like, I tried to feed some players uh, to some athletes, and they all told them the same thing, yeah, but I'll be a four or five, so I'll always just sit, sit on the bench because I'm going to eat up points. Yes. I'm like, no, but you don't understand. It's like, we don't have four or five. You're, <laughs> you're, you're something really special. You're big. You're an ex-rugby player. You're huge. You weigh 150 kilograms of muscle. Yeah, like, sure. we would love that. Like, I, I, you will play minutes. Yeah, I guess there's a tough thing of, like, if you're getting someone who's already that physical and, like, athletic into an individual sport, the path to already being good and maybe making a few quid out of it or winning medals or whatever is a lot shorter than hey you could be like a four yeah, or five on a team that we would then need to go out and find mid and low pointers to surround you like i guess that's a tougher sell than there might be yeah. some individual sports it's like hey hold this javelin throw it over there congratulations yeah. you're in like <laughs> wow it looks really small it's so far away oh, done like yeah it's yeah it's, it's it's sad because like when i go back to south africa i'm the biggest big guy they got that they've got and 
Uh, some big yeah. South African dudes, not in wheelchair basketball, but like exactly. so you know, sports, like, man. You've got a lot of big yeah. guys. Yeah. You guys, are, you guys are mad on rugby, man. Just start chopping limbs off and you know get them into the wheelchair and everything from These like day one. Guys that are one. already listening, they're just not interested in basketball because they've heard the stories like the athletics guys get to them like, oh, you'll never play if you play wheelchair basketball. You'll always sit on the bench. But come to athletics, yeah, there you can compete and win medals and well, yeah. And there's just no one there to pitch the basketball side of things and be like, listen, buddy. Like you're big, you're an athlete, you're used to playing team sport, you're an ex rugby player. It's like this is what you want to do, yeah. You know, yeah. Sell that to them. It's just that there's not, there's none of that happening, sure. So, so yeah, the guys all end up doing like athletics and volleyball and I think that's really formative. Like people just showing up in hospital when you're doing your rehab after an accident or whatever. Like there's a couple of people in Northern Ireland that it's just, it's just that like we got to them first. There's one guy in particular, a cousin of mine who had a motorbike accident I've told you about a couple yeah. of years ago. He had no chance, like, yeah. in rehabbing from a spinal injury and his second name was McSorley. They were like, come with me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. But, yeah. Should we hit questions? Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay, so I put out on our social media, bench units on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us. The Instagram's doing quite well. The Twitter's doing terribly, but we don't really try as hard on there. So that's <laughs> Um, so we have a handful of questions from various different people who will, um, um, Mark, I think we're going to keep the question asking anonymous okay. just in the interest of maybe people will ask better questions. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's do it. Uh, okay. First question. Who's the funniest roommate you've ever had? The funniest roommate I've ever had. Yeah. That would be a friend of mine, David Crow. He was, he was a special, or he is a special boy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a special boy is like, wild. Yeah, it's like he's, he's definitely one of like my favorite friends I've, I've been fortunate enough to have in my life. But man, sometimes I wonder how he survives as long as he has because sometimes <laughs> his decision making is just appalling, absolutely appalling. But yeah, he, he was he was probably the funniest roommate i've ever had because it was just so easy to to mess with him like he's just so gullible and to wind him up was just so easy <laughs> like and people just look at him as like you, you do know richie's messing with you right and he just wouldn't get it he'd think I'm <laughs> so much fun i love that your answer to this is a very one-sided thing you're like yeah this guy that i was able to mess with. <laughs> that's amazing not like this guy's yeah, a really like, funny sense of humor like, like all the stuff he did like you, you'd be sitting in the room and just thinking like how is this guy survived like, like how's this guy made it as long as he has and he's hasn't been hit by a box or something <laughs> Wow. Yeah, the stories you've told us about some of your teammates, I'm surprised you didn't get hit by it. I'm going to say it might still question. happen. Yeah. <laughs> next question. Sardinia or Canarias? Sardinia or Canarias? Oh, absolutely Canarias. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, one would be the weather. The weather is better here than Sardinia. Um, and the Spanish people, while I've Fallen deeply in love with the Italian culture, the Sardinian culture, and everything. I was like, I just do. I've always, for some reason, just connected better with the Spanish people, the Spanish culture. Just kind of, for me personally, they have just like a bit of balance in life between like work and play and love and, and love and family. And like, they just, they seem to have things 
you're fairly well-rounded so I, yeah 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 so that was the first thing that hit me when i moved to spain the first time i was 20 21 i was 20 went away for uni and i was like what's the biggest difference apart from it's warmer it's like all the important stuff's cheaper uh and they kind of care about the right stuff like yeah Yes. Food and rent's way cheaper than back home. And they're like, hey, I'm not going to touch anything on a Sunday because you should be with your family. Just yeah. random stuff like that where it's yeah. like... Yeah, and I think... Yeah, they they kind of, they get it right in terms of the right stuff being yeah, like important. good priorities, yeah. I think yeah. yeah. And I think Spain has the Spain has the right balance of that, whereas I, I think Italy has kind of similar concepts but goes like even further down the line to the point of being downright irresponsible in certain <laughs> like yeah, yeah. The, one of the um going back to the cafe in Campo San Piero that I frequented and it was like everywhere in the town is like open all week closed Sunday optionally closed Monday and this place was like closed Sunday closed Monday also closed every other Thursday and it's like why <laughs> do, yeah. do you just need that extra day off there's um yeah. well, there's also the Italian Ferragosto thing, which is the fifteenth of fifteenth of August is national holiday, right? Yeah. So three weeks out of August is holiday for everybody in the entire country, which on the face of it makes no sense because it's completely <laughs> illogical. And fifteenth is such an important bank holiday that the like hospitals and police stations are shut, and it's like. Surely you don't think this is a good idea. It's like the purge <laughs> for 24 hours. Man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, yeah. 24 hours, but no one's committing crimes. Yeah. Everyone's just like cooking. Seven yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite illogical thing about Italy was going to a pizzeria and like, at, at one o'clock in the afternoon and seeing the sign on the door closed for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is the pizzeria. I'm coming here for food for lunch. <laughs> what are we yeah. doing? It's as if they're like, "Hey, come on, man, we've got to eat too. Relax." And you're like, no. if, like yeah. "If only, if only you lived and worked somewhere where you could prepare food for yourselves." But apparently, that's <laughs> asking too much. Yeah, it's like just eat pizza at like twelve thirty instead of one. Like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> okay, good area. It's cool. Perfect. That's what I wanted to hear. Okay, next question from an anonymous <laughs> anonymous ask. Who used to be terrible at free throws? <laughs> oh, come on. I, I, You're allowed to. Yeah. This is my very, very dear friend, Mendel. Like, it was... Go check out the Mendel podcast. It, it was... <laughs> yeah, man, he's free throws. Have you heard this, Mark? Mark, it's completely dark on your screen. Uh, okay. Sorry, yeah, I know, man. I started off in here with no lights on, um, and it's gotten really dark in, like, the last... 30 minutes or so, so I was trying to maneuver yeah. to turn a lamp on there, but it's not happening. Um, so apparently the thing is, when Mendel got here, he was terrible at free throws, and Richard took him to one side and was like, we're going to work on this. And that, like, I heard that, like, once a month when I got here for, like, <laughs> my first year, I, I think. Was, I was so proud, because he did so, man, I've never seen anybody learn as quick as that guy, man. Mendel is just, like, phenomenally quick study at like anything man but he's got really good focus like he'll have a problem he'll ask the questions like hey i've got this problem what can we do about it and you talk to him and you work on it a bit and he just figures it out and it's like in such a short space of time it's like you never had the problem at all he's, he's, yeah he's really yeah. really good at that he's a smart sure. guy yeah. very pragmatic yeah. as well yeah, I think you you could tell kind of when we spoke to him, he's obviously really switched on. But yeah, being able to comprehend it and being able to like reprogram your muscle memory in short order are yeah. two very different things. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's he's good at that. He's like is able to like just override everything and say, well, okay, what feels right, we're gonna change that and we're gonna do it the way we're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the like people I've had the most fun with talking to about like, okay, we just lost this game. Let's figure out like when Bilbao beat the brakes off us just before Christmas, we obviously stayed here over Christmas. I went over to his apartment just one afternoon and we watched the Bilbao game and just like watched a play, rewind it, watched another play, rewind it and spent like two, three hours drinking coffee, watching the game. And we got into the most like pointlessly <laughs> detailed, not pointless because yeah. like it helped, but like not really to beat us by more the second time around. But you know what I mean? Like we figured some stuff out there and it was like, I was like, this is great, man. Like, yeah. And I like Mark, you're up there for me in terms of like people who like to go, really deep into analyzing basketball as much as I do. And I think it's like me and you do it because we're like, well, we don't have the physical tools. <laughs> it's like, I feel like people who can't shoot need to think about it more. Like there's more basketball <laughs> player, but also I feel like being able to shoot can get you out of some trouble. Absolutely. Like, you know, so I can't even count like how many times I've not known what to do. I was like, but hang on, I, I can take a shot. <laughs> so I was like, hey, let's do that. I feel like being able to shoot on a basketball court is like the same advantage as like being good looking in life, where it's just yeah. like things are just like 10% easier. Oh, but I, I think shooting the ball is like option one and also option six for everybody, right? Because it's like, I could have the shot here. No, I could look. Oh, there's this. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, go on then. I'll shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next question. What team that you played for had the best home court and why? Campo San Piero. Campo San Piero, really? <laughs> no. Uh, especially not when we had to train in that outside court, the rubber floor. Oh, we never had to use that one, man. Sucks oh, no, for you. Well, I had to use that one. We had, we had that one on Fridays before before a game, so we were exhausted on Saturday. <laughs> Because we had to train on the rubber floor on Fridays. So, like, you wake up Saturday morning and everything hurts. That's the so, worst planning I've yeah, ever heard. No, it, was, it, was it was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> the solution for that was, well, then we just don't train on Friday night. Perfect. Like, okay. Yeah, better than planning. By Santo Stefano, the, who trained 10 times that week. And then when the, the King President asked us, why did you lose to Santo Stefano? Like, oh, we were tired. I'm like, oh, we only trained twice this week. They trained 10 times. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, they're better than us. See, no problem. Yeah, so the best, the best, the team that I've played for, the best home gym. You were in Alunion for a year. That's a nice court. Um, yeah, but we, we played on a different court. In, oh, yeah, that was played yes. a, a school gym, which was, oh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't the same. Great. No. Um, actually, the best home court that I've played on would actually be Santo Stefano back then because the floor was new. They got new baskets. So that would have been the best term, like actual floor and baskets because it was new. Um, Is that the same place they have now just back when it was kind of fresh? It's the same place they have now. They haven't sanded those floors in. (laughs) It's a cool place though. Cool, um, Cool arena. Yeah, yeah, no, it's decent. The floor, the, the despite looking terrible, the, the, it's still the bounce is plays. Yeah, okay, play, it, it plays, plays well. well. It plays well, yeah. Cool. And they, they win the Italian league basically every year now, so they must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah. 
really good at away games. Everyone yeah. hates coming there. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, next question. Kind of got answered previously, but more generally, Italy or Spain. Do you have anything more to say about that, or will we will we keep it moving? Um, yeah, we can keep it moving. We'll keep it moving. Okay, next question. Once again, an anonymous source says, "Can you please shut up, Richie?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I. I know exactly who this anonymous yes. host is. <laughs> and the same person asks, what teammate has bullied you the most in your career? Under the same anonymous sort. I've <laughs> never, ever been bullied like I've been bullied this year. It's been so much fun. Mark, <laughs> for you and for anyone else who's listening who doesn't know, that is Rose Hollerman. Yeah, <laughs> I, heard, I heard she'd um, put a couple of questions in. I've only spoken to Rose the one time ever, which was when we did a previous episode of this, and I can't imagine her bullying anybody. <laughs> I think she's. it's just like, you're kind of like, like Uncle Richie, that sort of age where she's like, yeah, you're like the fun uncle who I can just tell to shut up because you're not going to tell me to shut <laughs> yeah, up like, back. Sometimes, like, I, like, sometimes she's bullying me and like, I think it's like, oh, come on, man. Like, they get uncomfortable, like, just leave him alone. Like, oh. yeah. she just, like, she like, just completely, like, dump you out of your chair and then be like, hey, Richie, you're all right. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next question. What is the, what's your favorite lineup you've ever played in? Favorite lineup I've ever played in? That's wow. a good one. That might be a hard one. You've played a lot of lineups, man. <laughs> wow, it's not a hard one. That's amazing. It's, it was it was really fun. Um uh it was the all-star game in Italy that I played with Jorge Sanchez and Matt Scott. And who else did we have? That was my favorite one. That was so fun. Uh Joachim Lindblom, he was there. We were still covered in glitter from the strip club. Oh, great. <laughs> Yeah, it was fantastic, man. We were all hung over and we beat the pants of the Italian national team. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah, I've heard about this game. I hear about this game after like half a glass of wine once every three months. Great memories, man. All star games would be so much fun, man. Yeah. Just flying in random people who don't know each other to like have a nice time and then. Beat the, beat the crap out of the Italian national team. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun. Like I'd pay to do that. It, it's uh, fun. It's funny that Italy always twigged to do that before Spain ever did. Considering the Italian national team had no shot against an all-star team of other, whereas like at least Spain, Spain would be semi-respectable if you had to go Spain versus whoever else. Yeah, well, look, like the the Italian all-star game always used to be rigged. So, <laughs> but, like. As you would expect in Italy. <laughs> but when, when, when you say rigged, are you going to give us some elaborate story about how it's actually their fault you guys ended up at the strip club the night before? <laughs> You're going to no, be no, like, they, they, they got us passes, I swear. Yeah, you guys just wanted to fight an uphill battle. <laughs> the, the strip club was literally between the hotel where we had the dinner, on the way, like, minor detour. Like, R- like, rude not to. Right? 80 euro taxi. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, but like the Italians, what they used to do is like they. So you got the All Star game, and you think, right, they're gonna pick like the top, the top foreign players in Italy, and it's just such a watered down version. And then like between the foreign players, we start messaging each other. I was like, hey man, did you get a, did you get invited to the All Star? I'm like, no, I didn't. I kind of figured I would be. And everybody's like, yeah, okay, we see what's going on. Yeah. 
But like, <laughs> we want it to be good, but we want the national to, team to win. This was when Carlo Nugusto was still the, the coach yeah, of the Italian sure. national team. And he, he'd decide who gets uh, like selected for the All-Star <laughs> team. So that, that, was, that was always interesting. And like sometimes there were like some people would get invited and they'd be like, no, nah, we don't want to, we don't want any part of this. It's like do it, do it properly or, or, or don't bother. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. That's fair. Last question. I asked you to have a little think about this. Did you get a chance to think about an all-star five of previous teammates? Yes. And like um it's it's a very difficult question because yeah, you like, you play with some killers, man. And, and also like the context is different because like how good they were as opposed to how good they are now, and like it's it's a very difficult question. So I took a different approach. I was just like, uh, a fun. I took like, a different approach. Good, good, good players. I that... took an interesting approach. We're playing to nineteen and a half. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've already. Oh, we've already... That's okay. Yeah. Okay, so. Justin Everson, okay, like this guy had so much fun playing with this guy. I mean, like we we like playing with him and in an all-star game in Italy, but then also playing against him, it was physically challenging. He was one of the first guys who actually like physically actually challenged me. Like I was uh, like when I played against him at that point, I was younger, I was quicker. My reflex was way better, and, and I was just—he's a beast, to, man. Yeah. I, I was just used to like being quicker and better than everybody else. And Dustin Everton, like, just you know, got got to Italy and, and was just like, no, like it's not going to be so easy anymore. And, and I love that. And we we actually became like quite good mates. And we'd oh man, we'd go go out like after the All Star game or like when he'd play in the, against us or we play against them. We'd always we'd always end up going out together. Yeah. Getting up to like tons of mess. I, <laughs> I, I, I imagine. I imagine nobody messed with you guys. <laughs> you were wondering. <laughs> no, well, they didn't mess with us because we were too busy beating each other. We actually got into <laughs> a hard fist fight in the in the elevator once. In, in, in actually after the All Star game in Italy, that the elevator just got stuck. <laughs> so well, then we're like, oh, shit. We probably start beating each other up now. We're like, we're both hammered and. Like, just, I don't know, somehow randomly decided, like, I could beat your ass up. And he decided he could beat my ass up. So then we decided to figure it out and see who wins. <laughs> and eventually when the, when the elevator, like, got stuck, we are like, oh, this is not good. Like, um, There's no time limit. I thought this was going to be yeah. like a 30-second yeah. round. That yeah. <laughs> was an elevator stuck. We're like, oh, that sucks. I was like, we should probably stop, like, shaking this thing around now and, like, wait until someone comes and rescues us. Well, I think it was, like, I don't know, maybe five months or something, and it just reset and the elevator started moving. Yeah, it was all, but it was good. It's like, yeah, we've been into being in a like couple punch up with Justin like twice, like, <laughs> like always like good fun, like actually sure. really beating each other up. But which would, know, like, which would be the stronger all star five the all star five of guys you've played with, or the all star five of guys you've had fights with, or are they the same people? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, man. Like, I was actually thinking Joe Chambers. I've never played with him, but man, that guy was that. That guy was. Awesome. I just love seeing that guy in court. There's this big guy who looks like he shouldn't be as athletic as he is, but yet he is. He's got amazing yeah. form when he shoots, moves his chair so well. Just looks like he shouldn't be so athletic, but he is. So yeah, that's, it, it was like a, a toss up, but I had to go with Justin because yeah, that guy's tough as nails, man. Like, like physically one of the toughest guys yeah. I've, I've ever played against. So yeah, that has to be him. Then on the same sort of 
level just being tough and hard and like amazing. It's Yannick Blair. Like yeah. I just love that guy, man. Like just just watching a one point to just put so hard and just be so aggressive and quick and smart. It's just, oh, I love watching it. Sure. Yeah, it's just that to play against him. That's like really top notch athlete. Then there's a guy that I played with in Barcelona, Brahim Aswaf. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. Yeah. So yeah. this guy had the most amazing ability to like find a weakness in a team and exploit it, man. Like we would, we'd be getting beat up. We we played games where we were like 20 points down. There was one we were 22 down at halftime. We went down as far as 25 in the third quarter. And he just comes over to me. He's like, listen, this is what we're going to do. And we come back and we win. It was like, that's it. It's like, he just, he just like, I'm like, listen, okay, I got a plan. This is what we're going to do. He, he had the most amazing ability to find a weakness that like, I don't even know how he saw it. It's like, like something happened. Like, oh, hang on. They can't stop this move. He'd just be like, wait a minute. Like, this is what we're going to do. And it would work. It was amazing. And he was just like, he was so aggressive, man. He was like, so aggressive, like such a strong push in his chair and uh, amazing, like, uh, picking skills and finishing skills. He, he was a great guy. He was a lot of fun to play. I learned a lot like playing with him as well, like from a basketball perspective. Then Greg Warburton. It's like, who doesn't love watching Greg Warburton play? Oh, it's just it's fun, man. Like, I think yeah, I think that nice. answer probably depends on whether you're playing against him or not because he, he's no yeah, fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah, but like, yeah, come on, man. Little Greg, that's just, that's just fun to watch. You've got to watch Greg Warburton play basketball. It's yeah. going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. Greg yeah, Warburton, who committed two murders in the same game against Phil <laughs> Bow, got, got, got Hasso looking for him with the little outside in move and sent Yannick. 15 feet with a pump pick in the same game yeah we, uh, Come on, man. we um we spoke about him in the last episode we did because we said it, it's been the whole illunion season this year has been kind of an adjustment period and i don't feel like we've had greg's had good games but i don't feel like we've seen a vintage greg game for a long time and then it was like the third third fourth game was it against bilbao yeah. and he was like okay let's have it then i'm due a good one <laughs> let's just yeah. turn it on unbelievable yeah. stuff man so much fun to watch like i think you hit it there he's just like there's a lot of good players but like when he's going nuts it's just so much fun because you can see there's a certain point he hits where like it's really early he'll hit like two in a row and he'll just be like yeah it's going this yeah. is this is it's going on. at all times yeah, like yeah just comes off picks and he's like yeah daylight like, yeah. <laughs> so like oh look i can see the basketball i can yeah. see the basketball there's no defense up going up legend Money. yeah yeah and then like uh Someone who I enjoy watching play as well is Lee Manning. Like, oh, really? Big, no, 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 no offense, Lee. Guys, <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he's huge, which is great. It was obviously great for the game, having a, a big man inside. But he's actually, he's so athletic. Oh, yeah. We, we've Unbelievable. Got, we've got um, a South African guy who doesn't play anymore. Yaku Falun uh, is his name. He's tall. He's like three meters 19 tall. He's huge. Oh. He's just—he's nowhere near as athletic as Lee. Yeah, not as strong, not as smart. Just like, uh, unfortunately, just didn't have the the physical attributes to 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 be anything near what Lee is. I mean, like with Lee's size, you would think he can't move the way he does. Yeah, yeah. he does. He's so quick, athletic, and agile, and 
so yeah, I, I really enjoy watching him play and really long, interesting conversation with him as well when we were in Redsline. Like, yeah. just listening to him talk about how he's like, you know, like, what aspect of my game should I work on? It's like, how do I take this to the next step? The guy's like motivated and smart and thinking, you know, about how, sure. what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I enjoy watching Lee play. It's fine. And he's just a, just a, Fun guy. Oh, I'm chirping off the bench all the time. Or even when I'm on court, I'm chirping him all the time. And uh, I think like, um, Lee's one of the few guys. Lee's one of the few guys where there's a very real sense of because of his size and, like you say, his agility and the fact that once he's somewhere near the basket, there's not a whole lot anybody can do about it. He's one of the few guys who, when kind of shot goes up and transition goes the other way, there's a very real sense of panic in the other team. It's like, oh God, where is he? Well, let's yeah. get on him immediately. Absolutely, yeah. man. It's like teams, teams really do panic when he gets close to the yeah. team, as they should. As they yeah. should, because yeah, he gets he it gets crafty on the paint man, you're in trouble. It's like it's sure. he's just too big. Last thing I'll say about Lee, he's also one of the best teammates I've ever had. Like yeah, unbelievable to be on the same side. I was like we've played against him a fair few times in the last couple of years, but I've been lucky enough to play on the same court as him and Really, really, really good guy to play with. Yeah. But yeah, that was it for totally. questions, man. So Wicked. I think that covers us then. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, thanks very much, Richie. This has been amazing. Yeah, yeah. this has been great, man. We'll have you back anytime for uh, I feel like you've probably got more stories in the locker for us, right? Potentially. Sure. Yeah, this story <laughs> would like yeah, we've got to do like a like a non-PG rated version. Yeah, we've got to, <laughs> we've got to do like a bench good. unit after dark or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look at my screen, man. It's already after dark. Right. Uh yeah, Richard, this has been awesome, man. So thank you very much. And we'll catch you again at some point in the future. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Right. Thank you everybody for listening. Listen? Peace out. Well, cool. take it.